welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and we are breaking down Manchester United's 3-1 comeback win over West Ham. Suchek opened the scoring for the Hammers in the 38th minute, a thoroughly deserved lead, and frankly, they should have had more. United got a golazo, an absolute worldie from Pogba in the 65th minute, which turned the match on its head. Greenwood scored in the 68th, and Rashford wrapped it up 10 minutes later. Sealing the three points for United. Carl, let's just get into that Pogba goal because that was uh, to borrow a line from TSN, the TSN turning point for sure. 100%. I mean, you, you, you look at leading up to that point, I'm pretty sure majority of United fans were wondering why he wasn't taken off at halftime. And uh, I guess Ole saw something that we didn't. Uh, but man, oh man. He had he had a shot in the first half actually where he was a very tame you know curled it straight to Fabianski. It almost looked like that was just the uh, the warm up before the uh, the main He's event. Bearings. Oh yeah, and then man oh man did he curl that in? Started from outside the goal and in the corner, no chance. Seemed to completely galvanize this United team that had started to build some momentum in the second half because of the two substitutions. But uh, we definitely needed that. That's for sure. Yeah, and speaking of why we needed it, United were just completely off it in the first half. That trio, so Ole Gunnar Solskjaer decided to go to a 4-3-3 in this match. And the trio of Scott McTominay, Van de Beek, and Pogba did not work whatsoever. They gave the ball away over and over. They could never really find that right build-up to get by West Ham's 3-4-3 that David Moyes had them in for. You don't want to lose to any of the former managers, but it looked like David Moyes was completely outwitting Solskjaer in the first half. Yeah, so you know, you mentioned the change in formation. There was also quite a lot of personnel changes. You know, Bruno Rashford on the bench, kind of with one eye, I think, on that Leipzig game. You had uh, Dean Henderson in net, and also Fred was not there. A testament to how well Fred has been playing we sorely missed him in that first half. You could see that Scott McTominay wasn't the same player. He just d- didn't seem comfortable. He always had to take at least two to three extra touches because where he would normally play to Fred, Pogba or Van de Beek weren't in those positions. There was just no chemistry. I think it, it just looked like 11 individuals on the pitch. Yeah, you had Cavani starting, which is what we were calling for, but there's no point because he wasn't getting the ball. The amount of times that we carelessly lost possession... It was super frustrating. Uh, I just thought that, you know, we were just waiting for a leader to stand up and take charge. Uh, You could clearly see that on the West Ham side, by the way, with the way Declan Rice was playing. I was super impressed with him. He had to contend with both Pogba and Van de Beek, who are like high-quality, world-class players. And he had absolutely no problem dealing with it. He was intercepting. He was coming in between. He was, you know, just physically... Uh, stronger than them, right? It, it looked like Pogba and Van de Beek were both waiting for the other person to take charge, get into space. And this was a great comparison because as soon as Bruno came on onto the field the second half, man, oh man, did he just take charge immediately. He did not even look to see who's going to want the ball. He just got into space multiple times. West Ham had no answer for how to mark him because he was pulling people out of position. I think... Uh, a really small viewpoint into what kind of difference he made was for the 
Third goal, which Mata had that brilliant pass that threaded the needle straight to Rashford. How was that built up? You had Pogba get the ball in his own half, deep in his own half. And then Bruno ran into the center of the field and then just made that space. And Pogba had an option and he could play it early. He didn't have to take the three touches that he was doing in the first half. Bruno, I think he took one or two touches, laid it off to Mata. And Mata first time, bang, right? That was what we're talking about. We've been talking about this the whole season. That tempo is so important. If I could track the amount of times that Bruno played a first-time pass to one of the players, this was the reason why we were able to unlock West Ham so quickly. They could not set up for us like they did in the first half because you had Scott taking touches, you had Pogba taking way too many touches, and every single time the ball was played into a Cavani or a Martial, we lost the ball. I just took a quick count. And when Martial in the first half played, he gave the ball away on the eighth minute that resulted in the ball in the back of our net when Bowne put it uh, in the back of the net. Luckily for us, he was offside. Gave it away in the 11th minute, 25th minute, and then in the 50th minute. Like, And that's just taking Martial into account. It was the same type of giveaways every time. The balls played into his feet and Valbuena just had him in his pocket because he knew exactly what Martial wanted to do. Very predictable. I think these are the types of things that people get frustrated about with Martial. We can see the potential, we can see the talent, but you got to show the desire to get in behind. I mean, the one time that he did was when Tellez made a nice run and cut it back for Martial. Martial had a really nice shot to Fabianski. So we know what's in his locker. Apart from that, I, I was actually surprised that Martial stayed on the pitch. I was actually pretty shocked that Ole took off Cavani and not Martial. And mm. quite frankly, not Paul Pogba. Uh, so Vivek, I, I know I've gone on a long uh, monologue right now. But uh, I guess my question to you is, because you did mention you know, uh, David Moyes was outwitting Solskjaer. If you were to mark Solskjaer out of 10, what score would you give him? Based on, you know, starting lineup, the changes, the tactics, formation, everything. You know, the funny thing is he keeps redeeming himself with the right changes. And that's something you have to give credit for. I give him specifically in this match a seven. But if I look over the big picture, that's where my criticisms come in. Right. When you have to rest Bruno, when you have to rest Rashford and think ahead to the Leipzig fixture, why are you in a position to do that because you didn't have the right preparation and the right 11 to take on Istanbul where you dropped three points there and that began the pressure in the Champions League fixtures where now this last match has become so crucial so little game management things like that and anticipating is what have could have prevented this situation where you're maybe now just able to play your best 11 and rest in the Leipzig fixture so big picture, I have more criticisms that lead to these situations. But in the match, I have to imagine there was something he was seeing in training to put Van de Beek, Pogba and Scott McTominay together, right? Because you highlighted too, since Fred is suspended for the next match, that gives you the opportunity to play him. There's no reason that you can't go back to that. And so there must have been something that he saw between those three, but obviously that didn't play out. So I think that is criticism to the trio and himself. But I look at the adjustments that he made. You had to bring on Bruno, he brought him on. You had to bring on Rashford, he brought him on. 
and you saw the change in the side. Mata was a positive contributor as well once he came on for Marshall. And you saw the difference in the runs between Marshall and Rashford as well mm-hmm. and how that opened up uh, the game. Night and day. Yeah. Now you can say after the second goal, things opened up because West Ham are now chasing the game. But again, you make your own luck and you create those opportunities because of the positive play that came before that. So yeah, with Solskjaer, at least now he knows with this trio that it doesn't work. I have a feeling that Ole was thinking the other way. I think he was like, okay, now that I know that Fred cannot play against Leipzig, I've got to find a combination that I trust, right? And he, we all know that he trusts Scott and Fred together. He's not going to be able to do that. I think he was using West Ham as a kind of testing ground to see what he could do. I mean, it was. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't think that paid off very well. But, but, uh, but I think on some level, this is reflective of what we talked about in the chat saying a team like West Ham that is that coming into this was fifth in the table has been playing good football just came off a win uh, a solid win over Aston Villa you have to show that appropriate level of respect as well when you're not when you if you're going to rest Bruno and you're going to rest Rashford that's going to come at a price this isn't you know a West Brom or a Sheffield United at the bottom of the table this is a team that deserves its respect Sometimes you could see that, that that reflected in the performance where West Ham were getting to the 50-50 balls. They were winning those aerial duels. You look at the number of times Jared Bowen was able to come down that right side, you would have thought that was Neymar all over again. <laughs> like He was just wreaking havoc. Those problems are, th- are things that you would like to see him anticipate going forward. And when I say the anticipation, I don't mean specifically now you've reached the West Ham match and you're saying okay these are potential problems i'm saying look at the fixture list and say hey these are big matches that are coming up i need to plan towards that and i think that's something that sir alex ferguson used to talk about where he would look big picture and know where rest periods needed to come in for his best players and know when he needed to depend on certain players and that's something that i think he can definitely do a lot better you know what I think that Ole, not many people are going to notice this, but he actually got lucky with the third substitute. No way he makes that third substitute in the 60th minute if Martial doesn't get injured, right? And one of the things that I I think we were lacking in the first half was, actually there were two things. We're not getting in behind their West Ham defense. We were playing everything short. So we were playing to West Ham's strengths because they don't have a fast back line, right? And the second thing was, the way West Ham set up, they had that 3-4-2-1 formation, but in defense, they were playing, they were really clogging up the middle of the pitch. And we were actually getting outnumbered in midfield. And we all know that Mata doesn't like to stay out in the wing. He's always going to come in, right? Him coming in actually helped us even out the numbers. And that's one of the reasons why it resulted in that third goal. So honestly, I think that was a tactical change that was forced upon us. Because of the Martial injury, I don't know if Ole makes that if it wasn't the case, right? So I, that's a fair point. Yeah, yeah, and so that was something that I did notice. It's also interesting. I don't know if you can remember this, but the first two goals we scored, which was obviously after Martial got taken off, I don't think Mata had a touch on anything until the third goal. <laughs> I just got to show you, like, 
you know what? You just remove a player who's not giving you much and then things start to open up right away. So yeah, definitely something that Martial needs to work on. I mean, it was his birthday today. I don't think it was a very, very good birthday for him. No, I mean, he's got 11 appearances for United now this season with two goals. He still hasn't scored in the Premier League, right? Nope. It's a really rough goal for him and you'd think he would have actually been coming in building off the momentum of that post-COVID run at the end of last season, but obviously that hasn't been the case. We should rewind a little bit to the West Ham goal because that was a period that they dominated and it looked like it could have been goals galore for them. When I'm looking at that corner, it's again United getting beat at the near post. Alex Tellez again found at fault for not tracking his man. That is something that I hope Tellez is talked to about where you could see he just didn't follow through. If he just continues to follow the man, he probably prevents that Suchek goal. Completely. I thought it was absolutely shocking defending from Tellez. He just completely switched off. Uh, you could just see like Paul Pogba look behind him and he's looking at Tellez <laughs> and he's like, what just happened? He was so surprised. Yeah. Everybody was just static. And you know, when you look at the breakdown on that goal, it was pretty simple. A, United is playing zonal marking. They just hit into the near post. There's always a flick on. And then the far post, the guy's making the run. This is something I'm pretty sure like people do in training every day. And it's like the back of your hand. And so uh, it's just very, very poor defending. I thought Tellez did not have a good game defensively. Jarrett Bone in the first half just, I mean, he took him in. He took him out. Uh, and he made him look silly, right? And like you said, it made, made it look like Neymar was up against him or something. But West Ham, extremely unlucky not to have been three, four goals to the good, to be honest with you. Key moments in the game, you look at Sebastian Haller. Uh, he was when through he on the goal. Yeah, he beat the keeper. He put Harry Maguire on his butt. All he had to do was poke it in the back of the net and he slipped at the opportune time, right? You look at the start of the second half where Jared Bowen was on the other side. Uh, there was a cross in from the right-hand side. Bowen came on the back post and just didn't hit it on target. Uh, mm-hmm. And if he did, it was a goal, right? And yeah. West Ham and on the other wing, Fornals had his moments too. Yeah, he hit the post, right, with his toe poke. United can consider themselves extremely lucky. Uh, it, it was kind of uh, ironic because in the PSG game, it was the exact same type of game where United had these chances. They just didn't put it away. And guess what happened? PSG took their chances. Same thing happened in reverse where West Ham had the chances. They didn't put it away. United came with some exceptional quality, took their chances with a little bit of luck as well. Because, I mean, if you talk about that Paul Pogba goal, I think uh, A, Dean Henderson with a really nice clearance that went to Bruno, but pretty sure the ball went out of play. You know what? <laughs> we don't have the technology yet to determine that. And it was just, if the linesman doesn't see that, you can't give it, right? There's nothing that's clear and obvious to overturn it. Should there be like a goal line technology that just covers the entire pitch? Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, I think it's just a matter of time before that comes in. Uh, they've got the sophisticated cameras to do that. Actually, we have a buddy who works for a company that, that builds those cameras, and he already told me that they're trialing it in Germany. So it's probably just a matter of time before that comes in, where you get that 360-degree view of the pitch. Now, we've mentioned Jared Bowen a couple of times. Is he the longstaff long shot? Is Fornells in the mix? Any, anyone else that you enjoyed watching out there you know what uh 
I would have given it to Jared Bowen if we were just giving it for first half performance. But one guy that stuck out to me, and I can see what all the fuss is about him, is Declan Rice. From minute zero to minute 90, he was playing a very difficult position against some world-class players. Uh, He did not look out of place, and he was all over the pitch. He had interceptions. I think just one moment that summarizes his performance was when Rashford took the ball in our own half, in our own box, and went on that mazy run. It was Declan Rice that came in with a fantastic tackle just in front of his own box to take the ball clean away from Rashford, and then Rashford kind of you know, banged into Ogbonna's legs. I think that that in itself just showed what this guy is all about. He's got the engine, he's got the fitness, uh, he's got the leadership capability, and he's got an eye for a pass. So for me, I would give it to Declan Rice. I, I guess I just didn't consider Declan Rice because he's a he's a known quantity. So I know we've kind of been reserving this for the ones who are lesser known. But I think if there was a standout performer in this match, absolutely, it was Declan Rice. Bruno, for the way he changed the game since the minute he came on, I think that's a fairly easy Cantona caller. I, you... I actually disagree with you on that one. Okay. And... The person that I had in mind, because I know I have been harsh on him some sometimes, is uh, Aaron Wan Bissaka. I think he he had a fantastic game all the way through. When we were on the ropes in the first half, we all know that tackle he made. My God, what a tackle it was on on Jared Bowen, where he was on the halfway line. He tried to intercept it. He missed it. Van he probably Beek. inspired Declan Rice. <laughs> yeah, I know that was. That was a fantastic challenge. And then he actually made many more challenges throughout the game where West Ham mm-hmm. could have been in and behind and he had he stuck his leg out at the right time. And and so I'm not saying I'd give it to him, but I just want to get your opinion on, do you think he did enough to get the Cantona caller or you think, okay, fine, all the good work he does, it doesn't matter if Bruno doesn't come on the pitch? I think, honestly, this raises a bigger question of whether we're giving enough credit to defenders when it comes to this award you know the last couple of matches i mentioned how good harry Maguire has been i thought he was pretty solid in this match uh outside of a few moments but again Juan basaka should absolutely be in the running and we know that the players who get the goals and the assists are the ones who attract the most attention but i still would look at bruno as the one who changed the match like, I'll put it this way. If Bruno doesn't come on, I don't think we're talking about Aaron Wan-Bissaka's performance. Yeah, I can't disagree with you. So I think he, I think you win this argument on, on, on Bruno <laughs> getting the Cantona collar. So uh, I, I'm good with that. that. That definitely makes sense. I think the defenders' performances will definitely get lost if, if we don't come up with a victory. So yeah. When we look at the Beckham boot, there was a no-brainer candidate after the first half. I was calling this arguably Pogba's worst performance in a United jersey yet. I mean, there's a lot to pick from there, right? So, But that's what I'm saying. So that that's how bad I thought he was. I don't want to call it a lack of intensity because that just seems to be his general demeanor on the pitch. He's done himself no favors. And that first half, it was just shocking. As much as he improved in the second half, I wonder how much of that is just playing beside Bruno as opposed to Van de Beek as opposed to, you know, trying to just link up with Marshall. And I think Van de Beek's performances alongside Bruno in those two starts that he had, whether it be Southampton, whether it be Istanbul, those two 
we were raving about them, right? The way they were connecting their sort of telepathy for each other, it seemed was incredibly in sync. And we saw a bit of that now in the second half. So is Bruno the missing piece or did Pogba just find something in that locker room at halftime and just... It's, it's a really tough one because like Bruno completely changes the game with his movement, right? And so mm-hmm. I actually don't think that Pogba changed too much in his game from the first to the second half. What I mean, he was still playing in that deeper position. It's just that now his passes were were more in sync. He wasn't losing possession. But like you kind of have to ask yourself the question. So Pogba was misplacing a lot more passes in the first half. But was he misplacing or was it just that he was trying to force passes that weren't there? And part of the reason for that is because the movement wasn't there. Because as soon as mm-hmm. Bruno came in, you had the movement and everything just looked easier. So... I have to ask you this question because I know both of us actually, I would say, have a have a, a bias for Donny van der Beek because we know the potential he has. You're also a big Dutch fan. Do you think we're giving him too much benefit of the doubt, especially because you look in today's game, and if I'm being completely honest, I think he had a very poor game. And I don't know if I'm giving Pogba a get-out-of-jail card here, but I think that if Van der Beek had better movement, Pogba wouldn't have looked as bad as he did. I think that's a fair assessment. I thought Van der Beek was very poor in this match. As you said, there it looked like there were 11 individuals on the pitch. And especially with that trio between Pogba and Scott and Van der Beek, there was no chemistry whatsoever. I remember one time Pogba was literally yelling at McTominay to move and get into a different position because they were all just way too congested. I think those are the types of plays that get him frustrated because he wants to play a certain style and he wants to make certain passes. Some of that frustration I can understand, but you see the difference when Bruno is able to just inspire better, take the game by the scruff of the neck. That's the type of influence we have very rarely seen from Pogba in a United jersey. Mm -hmm. That's where I look at Pogba and I say, okay, Maybe now, and maybe for a while now, it's been unfair to have that expectation of him. Maybe we look at Van de Beek more kindly because we don't have that level of expectation, but we also paid half the price. Yep. The price tag has a big impact. I also think that Van de Beek had the luxury of, we were signed him where it wasn't a player that we needed. It was more of a, a depth signing, right? in case you had a Bruno get an injury or something like that. So there's less pressure. Whereas when Pogba was signed at the time, we badly needed some quality in midfield. I mean, you're like if, yeah. if I were to rattle off some of the names we had in midfield at the time, like, uh, yeah. So I think that's one fundamental difference. Uh, I think you've hit on an important point there. I have arrived at the point where I'm ready to move on from Pogba. And I wasn't before, but I wanted to still see if he had a desire to play for United. I still wanted to see if there was a way this could be made to work. And a big part of that was because I didn't want to be in a position where you're selling a player of his caliber and his quality without a contingency plan. Mm -hmm. And so now knowing that there is someone like a Van de Beek who can be part of that contingency plan. Now, knowing that you have a Fred and Scott who have become dependable in the big matches to hold down that defensive midfield position, them giving 
Bruno the freedom to do what he does, now I am ready to move on. So I absolutely will give credit to that period of Pogba being absolutely necessary and needed for United. And I think it would have sent a bad message to sell him without having any kind of plan to move on. But with Bruno in place, with Van de Beek, with the midfield looking a lot more solid and Solskjaer, frankly, looking a lot closer to identifying his best 11. Now we've just reached the point where we can move on. So based off of that, who's your Beckham boot? I'm still giving it to Pogba. The expectations for him are larger than the expectations you have for Scott McTominay or Van de Beek. And he, in that lineup at the end of the day, needs to be that driving force. Is it unfair to ask him that when he hasn't started a match for United in so long? Maybe. But you can still, even if you're not a leader vocally, you can still be a leader by example. And Honestly, I, I don't think it's unfair at all to have that expectation. Your World Cup winner... You're, you were the most expensive player in the world. You have played in a Champions League final. You have the experience. You're not like a youngster with potential anymore. Yeah, I expect you to, you know, slot in and, you know, perform. So, no, I don't think you're being uh, unfair on him at all. Okay. Yeah. yeah. There we go. Yeah. Back on boot. Yeah. Paul Pogba. <laughs> yeah. Paul Pogba. The only other two people I would have given as candidates would have been Alex Tellez and Van Der Beek. However, this is their first season in England. This is like they've barely played. You know, they're getting still into the groove. And so that's a very, very fair excuse for letting them get up to par, right? And we all know this. When players come from other leagues to the Premier League, it's not easy to acclimatize. You just have exceptions like Bruno Fernandes. I think the only saving grace that would have been possible for Pogba in the first half is if they kind of went to what you suggested in the chat saying, switch the position with Van de Beek, where... We're not trusting Pogba with the defensive duties. Van de Beek maybe will at least give you that effort to provide that link-up play because let's face it, he's at least played that role a bit more often alongside Bruno. Maybe that could have led to a better first half, but yeah, we're assessing what happened. So Pogba all the way. I don't know if there's much else to touch on. Maybe we can move on to the Leipzig fixture. Yeah, that's a that's a really big one, man. Like uh, you th- You think about... Where we were just a couple of weeks in the Champions League group. Oh, okay, United just need a point to go through. Should be uh, plain sailing. Should get first place in the group. And then everything changed with some poor results, right? And so I'm I'm optimistic about this one. I think that United, if they have their players fit, the best players, they they can stand up. I think we've shown in the past when we're playing teams that like to have a high press and attack, we are lethal on the counterattack, right? And I think teams know that as well. So there's, this is going to be one of those games where I believe the first 10 minutes is going to decide a lot. How teams start is going to play a big factor. If Leipzig get an early goal, man, they are going to be on the front foot and they're going to be coming at us at 100 miles per hour. So United really have to have composure. We really need our leaders to stand. Maguire, Bruno, we really need them to have the composure. I'm looking... I'm looking to see how we start that game. I'm fairly certain I, I know what the starting lineup should be. It should obviously be the back four that we had today. Juan Bissaka, Lindelof, uh, Maguire, and Tellez. Who we have in net? Um, 
I, I have a feeling David De Gea will be back for that one. Although I thought Dean yeah. Henderson had a really good showing today. Uh, in midfield, I do think that obviously Scott's going to start. I have a feeling he's going to play Matic in the two. And then in the three ahead, you're going to have Bruno in the middle. You're going to have Rashford on the left. You'll have Greenwood on the right. And you'll have Cavani up top. That's what I think the starting lineup is going to be. Well, I think you missed a golden opportunity for a bit of a different analogy when you said they'd be at 100 miles per hour if they get that first goal. I thought, you know, flying high off that Red Bull was right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I definitely missed that one, man. I thought they would have uh, give give us some wings. <laughs> I think what, one player that you mentioned right at the end there that we didn't really discuss was Mason Greenwood. It was nice to see that finish from him. Uh, flashes of what we saw last season and hopefully that's something that kicks him on to better things yeah i fully agree that he should be in there with rashford cavani should be trusted up top i think this is going to be a really really tight fixture a lot of squeaky bums across across the world watching united in this one because you look at rb leipzig at home in the bundesliga five matches five wins you look at the Champions League, two matches that they've played. They beat PSG, they beat Istanbul. That means they've played seven matches at home. They've won all of them. It's just the away games that have been tough. And they're going to be at home. United, they have plenty to feel good about away from home as well. Nine league matches on the trot now that they've won. A club record. We give Ole a lot of stick about the bad records that have been set. But this is something you have to commend. And especially with some of the comebacks that United have had, kudos to him. Big time record, that is. Yeah, not to mention that Leipzig just played Bayern Munich today as well. And uh, that game ended 3-3. They're, they're not shy of attacking, that's for sure. I think we saw we saw an off performance from them when we beat them 5-0. I don't think we're going to see anything close to that. But I'd be interested to see. I think Ole got the better of... Uh, uh, Julian Nagelman in the in the first match and he's a pretty smart coach so let's see what kind of alterations he makes for his formation against us finally from a big picture perspective if someone told me United were going into the Leipzig match needing a draw or a win to get through to the next round I would absolutely take it I think if someone told me after 10 league fixtures United would be fourth in the table and two points off the top I would absolutely take it. That's something that, that's worth mentioning for all the criticisms that we make because it is vital that we keep perspective because mm-hmm. as you've said before, we don't want to be that podcast where we're just going off on whatever we want to go off about. We do want to bring some practicality to this and what Solshire and the and the team have achieved to this point, I think they are at the very least at expectations. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know what, um, when it was in the 2019 season, after 10 games, we had a really, really poor points total, right? And we are way better than where we were last season. And you know what, based off all the talk, and if you if you didn't look at the table and you just went by headlines, you would think that United are nowhere close to the top of the table right now, right? Um, and, you know, sometimes even... Listening to some of the things that I say, uh, I would think that we would be closer to the bottom than the top. So I I, I do want to agree with you. You know, we got to put things into perspective. We have got a good start. We have 
tighten certain things at the back after letting in quite a few goals. I think one thing that we should keep track of is one of our liabilities at the back is set pieces. That was exposed against Southampton. It was again exposed today. And you know what? That's something we should keep track of moving forward to see how other teams capitalize on this. And if Ole pays attention and makes some tweaks, you know, maybe it doesn't go zonal, but I don't see that changing. But uh, just some, some food for thought. And that's where we'll leave you with this one. A reminder, we are on Twitter at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to subscribe and join us after every match and let your friends who might be interested know about it too. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.